0: Hey, it's Bill Simmons. I have some good news for you. The hottest take, it's back. Oh, yeah. Monday through Thursday, four times a week, you hear from me, Chris Ryan, Sean Fantasy, Mallory Rubin, Wazdeen Lambrey, Van Lathan, June Lippman, many other ringer staffers. You get one take, you got to defend it to the death. Sports takes, pop culture takes, food takes, airplane takes? Oh, yeah, it's coming back. First episode drops August 29th. See website for details.
1: It is Monday, September 19th. So you're scrolling through Netflix or Amazon Prime or HBO Max. What gets you to click on a movie? Is it the star? The subject matter? Maybe you saw an ad. The most movies on streaming don't really have ads with exceptions. Maybe it feels like a big budget Hollywood style movie with special effects and aliens or an actor or filmmaker you like. You can kind of tell when a movie is expensive, right? These days, the movie you're clicking on might have cost about $200 million, which until recent years has been the threshold for pretty much only the major studio blockbuster type movies, not the direct-to-streaming movies. But those movies were released in theaters and first generated millions of dollars in box office before going to theaters. In streaming these days, some of these $200 million movies never get a theatrical release. They're streaming only something like The Gray Man or Red Notice on Netflix. They got nominal theatrical releases, but were primarily made specifically for the service. The Knives Out sequel, Glass Onion, that's another one that's coming up. And this is really a controversial topic in Hollywood. How much should a streaming-only movie cost? A lot of people think that you can't get a return on an investment when you're spending that much. Others think that if you really want to compete and generate subscribers on your service, you've got to put studio movie theater quality movies on streaming. So that's the question we're getting into today. How much should a movie cost when it's going direct to a streaming service? I brought in Lucas Shaw from Bloomberg. We're going to get into this, but first some housekeeping here. Uh, My newsletter, my puck newsletter that I write twice a week. If you want to sign up for that, which I highly recommend everybody do that, uh, just go to the link in the episode description. There is a discount we're having. So you get 20% off for this week and it's a really good deal. You should sign up. Also, we have an email address for the town. It's the town at spotify.com. You want to send us questions, concerns, Anything you want to ask us, if you have something you want to get off your chest, any personal grievances, just send an email to us. And then we're going to do a mailbag episode later this week, a town hall episode where we're going to answer people's questions. So you can send me an email. Producer Craig will get it as well. Or tweet at me at at Matt Bellany. All right. From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right. We are here with Lucas Shaw from Bloomberg. So there's a lot of talk around Hollywood about how expensive movies should be that go directly to streaming. Over the past three to five years, there was a the thinking that whatever you needed to do to build up your streaming service was the right way to go. Didn't matter how expensive the movie was. If you were getting people subscribed and keeping them there, it was worth it. Now we've got kind of a backlash to that. Bob Backish, the CEO of Paramount, he was at a conference this past week and he challenged Netflix, basically. He said, this $200 million streaming only movie is crazy. You'll never make an ROI, return on investment, doing that. I don't care how big you are. And that was basically taking aim at movies like The Gray Man or Red Notice, these big Netflix $200 million play f- plays for big subscriber gains. Um, both those movies were sort of, Not reviled, but rejected by critics. Um, It's less clear whether audiences liked them. I think they probably did. But did Netflix get a return on their $200 million movies? And do we even know what a return is these days? It's impossible to know if, uh,
2: if if Netflix got the money back, and that's one of the hardest or most challenging things about covering the entertainment business and the movie business right now is that a lot of the traditional metrics for success, uh, box office being being a big one, are less and less valuable. Obviously, we can use box office to to judge how Top Gun Maverick did. We know that's a huge hit as a result of that. But these streaming services, you know, they they buy a movie. Uh, or they they fund a movie, and they say that it just contributes to, to their overall growth or success as a business. And it's almost impossible for us to know whether that's up or down. There was a period, like when I first started covering Hollywood, we had this succession of huge bombs. John Carter, Battleship, but, and movie studios. Oh to yeah, face.
1: those were amazing. That was a great time to cover this stuff. John Carter was a $200 million write-down for Disney. Battleship, 47 Ronin, that was back-to-back Universal movies that were 200 plus million dollar movies that absolutely tanked. You know, you don't see that as much. You don't see the write down as much. Well, Netflix just doesn't have to take them,
2: right? Cause they can just say it's part of this larger mix. Disney now, I mean, all these movies get released in different ways. It's very hard to say something is as big a failure. And also as, as we know and we've discussed, movie studios have gotten so careful and so cautious that there aren't quite as many big bombs because Netflix is like the only company spending $200 million
1: on an original piece of IP that could, could fail. Prince of Persia. That was another one. Disney had, a, had quite a little track record there in the early 2010s. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, Middle Eastern warrior. Didn't
2: the, didn't the head of the studio get fired?
1: Yes, he did. Uh, That was... Rich Ross? Rich Ross got fired for these movies. I think that was when Bob Iger, the CEO, was basically like, you know what? We're not doing this anymore. We're going to remake the hits. We're going to bring in Alan Horn from Warner Brothers. We're going to do Little Mermaid. We're going to do Aladdin. We're going to do Beauty and the Beast. We're going to just remake the hits, and people are going to love it. Um, But now, those original big-budget movies tend to go to Netflix or to the other studios on this kind of hybrid model. Um, And the Netflix thing is interesting because, first of all, it's not really a $200 million movie. If you try to compare a Netflix $200 million movie to a studio $200 million movie, Netflix will often point this out, that yes, these movies cost that much, but it's because they are buying out the profit participation from these actors and filmmakers. They are spending up front what a traditional studio would have to pay out on the back end if these movies are hits. So they say like a movie like um, Gray Man would probably be a $140, $150 million movie if it were at a traditional studio. But because it's Netflix, it costs more upfront. I don't know how much you want to believe that or if that's just an excuse. Uh, I, I think there's probably a little bit of truth to that. I just think this whole retrenchment on streaming movies is weird. Why, the, why why? so? I mean, if you talk to David Zasloff at Warner Brothers Discovery, he feels the same way. He doesn't think you can get a return by putting a movie directly on streaming that costs more than, like, 30, 40 million dollars, which is why we saw the Batgirl movie just get absolutely trashed because he didn't think there was a model in theaters and he didn't think it made sense to spend that much on streaming. Yeah, I think that's dumb. I mean, not, like, not
2: I, I, not dumb, but... There is a there is a middle ground, right? To say that no movie that costs more than thirty or forty million dollars. On- that can work on streaming is just writing off that entire category of movie. Because the fact is we live in this era where the only movies for the most part that make a ton of money in theaters or that studios will even green light for theaters are those that cost a hundred million dollars and up. There's some horror, there's some, uh, there's some Oscar plays, there's some exceptions, but one of the great things that happened during the last five to seven years was that these streaming services came around and, gave a lifeline to the so-called mid-budget movie, these dramas and comedies and so on that cost 30 to $90 million. And if you're saying that can't work in streaming, you're also Mm -hmm. sort of saying it can't work in theaters, which means you're just not making those movies. And a lot of those are my favorite kinds of movies. The other thing is, look, I went to the movies on Friday. I saw The Woman King. It was good. I'm in the movie theater every couple of weeks. Most people only go to the theater three or four times a year. And they want to watch new movies in between that. So what do they need? They need streaming services to provide them at home.
1: Well, it's a financial question. I think what Zasloff and the others are saying is you can still put a big budget movie on streaming. You should just have a theatrical window first to make your money there and make the overall cost proposition makes sense. I mean, something like the Magic Mike sequel that's in development and and shooting right now, actually, I think it might be done. Magic Mike 3 was supposed to be a streaming-only movie for Warner Brothers, and they announced last week that that's going to get a theatrical release because they think they can squeeze $100 million out of this movie, and then it goes to streaming 45 days later. That is what you, when you talk to these traditional studio executives like Bob Backish or David Zaslaw. That's what they think is the sweet spot where you can put the movie in theaters, get your money there, and it doesn't cannibalize the movie when it then goes on streaming. It could then generate an audience and generate subscribers there. And you know, if Netflix had chosen to put the Knives Out sequel into theaters for a month before it debuts on streaming in December, I think they would have made a couple hundred million dollars and then had a big hit on streaming They've decided not to do that. So I think that strategy makes a ton of sense for the really big movies. You have a
2: Top Gun, you have a Marvel movie, you have a Pixar movie. There's no question that you're going to make hundreds of millions of dollars in theaters and it's not going to cannibalize the streaming viewership. If anything, the enthusiasm, interest, marketing, all of that will make that title sustain interest for a longer period of time. And that's something Netflix has really struggled with, is making its movies last in cultural consciousness, turning their releases into events. And I think for the right titles, theaters would help. But one, most Netflix movies are not big enough to justify the cost of a theatrical release. And that's the thing that gets omitted from these conversations a lot of the time. Take that that Magic Mike sequel. Okay, you're going to put it in theaters. That means you're probably committing to spending at a minimum 50 million dollars to market it and you're sharing a bunch of that revenue with theaters. So you have to make to your again like at least 100 million, really more like 150, 200 million to make that movie make any sense theatrically.
1: Well, but then you also
2: you And benefited- that, I didn't even include the production budget. So there's just you have to be confident it's a big enough hit to justify it.
1: Well also you think that that marketing spend that you're outlaying for the theatrical release will spill over to benefit the streaming release which I think does happen and the problem that Netflix has had with some of these bigger movies is not that they're not as good as or you know as popular as some of the theatrical movies we can debate that but they don't get marketing I mean the Gray Man and Red Notice were two of the only individual titles that Netflix released last year that got dedicated marketing spends. They had a campaign around those movies. And if Netflix did that more with some of the individual titles, I think you would see them pop a little more. But I do agree with those executives that say that there is probably not a huge drop-off between the number of people who watch, some, who watch something like Magic Mike 3 on HBO Max after 45 days Um, and who would have watched it if it had been day and date? Look,
2: as a movie goer, I want more titles in theaters. I want to be able to go to the theater on a Friday and have to choose between three or four different options. Most people are not there anymore. And so I think, again, with the big movies, do the theatrical. With certain types... Yes, you can make more in theatrical, but to just write off the idea of a streaming movie is sort of folly to me. I think there's a there's a hybrid approach that you need where you can have really big titles do the theater first, maybe a a, a mid a mid title that is day and date and then some that are streaming exclusive. So Netflix you- Netflix needs to lean into theaters, but studio, but in, in a bigger way, certainly at least in in marketing, but these big media companies also should not shift dramatically away from the idea of a streaming
1: movie. So if you were Scott Stuber and you had a billion dollars to make movies this next year, would you make five 200 million dollar movies or would you make 20 50 million dollar movies? They're doing both, but I'd make 20 50 million dollar movies. Why? Um
2: because Netflix is a TV network right now and because the company hasn't committed to putting movies in theaters making five 200 million dollar Projects is just going to be a waste. Um, you won't get you won't get the same. You won't get people coming in all the time. You won't. Um, yeah, it's just they, they've had more success on the movie front making modestly budgeted titles. I get that the biggest hits are these big franchises, and that's what they want, and they want to create franchises or create movies that they can then make sequels of and keep people coming back. But I think as long as they're using the business model that they're using, which is Home, like only at home basically then they'd have they'd be better off making the types of franchises that are comedies, romantic comedies, dramas and adventure that they can make for a cheaper budget.
1: Yeah, for that argument, I have heard from people that the numbers on a very small movie called Fla- uh Purple Hearts. Yeah, huge. Huge numbers on a Netflix movie called Pur- Purple Hearts, which is a uh, have you seen it? I haven't seen it. No, but I've definitely heard about it. But but it is a kind of like pro pro military rom romantic movie I, I i don't know someone someone can email me the synopsis but it's done engagement levels on the level of a gray man and if one of those costs almost nothing and one of those costs 200 million dollars and the only metric that netflix uses is engagement then maybe that answers your question but the only metric it isn't the only metric they use engagement they're using Things like, is this going to be something that someone is going to sign up for the service to watch? And if you have two big stars like Gosling and Evans, maybe then that becomes the sub-bomb that you need to get people in the door. They have those numbers we do not and they're clearly greenlighting more of these movies so they see what um, what is delivering for them. And the argument could be made that five $200 million movies ultimately is better for the bottom line then 50 of the then then 20 of the $50 million movies. Yeah, I
2: mean that's that's the direction that they've been that they've been moving in with, without question. I mean the, the Scott Stuber, the head of film there loves to talk about fewer better now, but that's because they were just making like 8500 movies a year. I think if they were making 30 or 40 really good movies and people had something one really good new movie to watch
1: on Netflix every couple of weeks, that'd be great. And something like the Knives Out deal, where Netflix paid four hundred fifty million dollars to Ryan Johnson to make two Knives Out sequels directly for the service. You would do that deal? I would. If I were
2: Netflix, I would want Knives Out. I cannot, without looking at the numbers, I cannot comment uh, or really judge whether spending four hundred fifty million dollars makes sense.
1: And keep in mind that doesn't necessarily go into the production budget of the movies. Ryan Johnson and his partner keep a lot of that money, um, so good for them. But you know that that is a big big outlay for a theatrical franchise that is going to be a streaming property from now on. That that movie should have some kind of theatrical release. We can
2: debate whether it's a hundred theaters, a thousand theaters, five thousand theaters. But there will be people, because of this popularity of the first one, who will go to the theaters to see that movie. The challenge for Netflix is it doesn't make a ton of sense to just do that once. If you're going to start putting movies in theaters, you should build a business out of it. And they don't want to do that.
1: They don't. But I would argue that they're leaving three, four hundred million dollars on the table if they had done that. Um, and I think it would juice interest, not necessarily take it away from the streaming release if it was 30, 45 days later. I, th- there is no question that you can
2: just look at Encanto. That movie did okay in theaters, but not only did it generate revenue, it built some awareness. So by the time it was available at home, it became a huge smash. I, I think there's no question that a theatrical release can benefit uh, a, a
1: movie, just not every movie. And it's funny you mention Encanto because uh, Bob Chapek, the CEO of Disney, was asked last week about that very question, whether he thinks that a streaming only movie can create a global franchise that is exploitable across consumer products and theme parks and all the other venues where Disney operates. And he said, absolutely. You do not need theaters for one of these big movies to create a franchise. He just couldn't name one. He named Encanto, which did get a theatrical release. Now, it wasn't the biggest movie of Disney's year. I think the pandemic had a lot to do with that. But it did play in theaters. It did get a marketing push. And then it went on the service and became huge. And I think the theatrical element of that played a big role for a movie of that size. And if I'm Disney, I am not going to do what they did with some of these Pixar movies in the past, which was put them on the service and then hope they become franchises i'm putting those movies in theaters yeah the the big
2: animated movies are are too expensive i think to go streaming only i really do think that there's a line if you're like if you're sub 100 million dollars or sub 75 or whatever it is there's a world where that's just like a re, that's a, a really good movie that can can make the money back at home uh, if with with those bigger titles it becomes much harder to
1: justify going streaming only And if you look at what Apple is doing, Apple's another one that's paying big money for streaming movies. They've got these uh, two movies, The Flowers of the Killer Moon, which is the Scorsese movie with Leo DiCaprio. They've got the Formula One movie that they're putting together. Both are hugely expensive, probably in the $200 million range. And both, interestingly enough, are getting theatrical releases. Well, Apple and Amazon have both had to commit... or with certain
2: projects to going theatrical because they're not as proven, right? Like Netflix, has demonstrated that it can make these big movies. It can get them nominated for awards. People will watch them. And so it has exited the phase where it has to make all sorts of concessions to get a project for the most part. Apple and Amazon are, and Apple in particular is still in that phase. So there was, I don't think there was any way it was going to get those projects without committing to a theatrical. And that, I mean, that hurts Netflix too. Like I'm sure when Chris Nolan was leaving Warner Brothers that there's a world where Netflix would have loved to do a deal with him. Chris Nolan wants to see his movies in theaters. So there was no way he was doing a deal with Netflix.
1: Right. And the Apple platform is still pretty small, especially when compared to something like Netflix. So if you are a filmmaker like Joe Kaczynski with the F1 movie, he wants this to have a global footprint and people to see it. And if it's just on the Apple service at this point, you're not going to get that. And it makes sense that they would include a theatrical component there. Um, I just think that Netflix, uh, if they want to compete for those top projects, offering theatrical would be yet another way to get them. Do you think if if you were uh, if you were Disney, would you put Avatar out as a
2: streaming only movie?
1: <laughs> Avatar costs, what is it a billion dollars for the four sequels? Is that what they're spending?
2: That's what they've said.
1: That's what someone has
2: reported, at least.
1: First of all, Jane, if if they tried to do that, Jim Cameron would commandeer some military grade, uh, you know fighter plane and just go nuclear on the Disney headquarters. So that would never happen. And also it doesn't make any financial sense. It just doesn't. I mean, literally they're putting avatar, the original in theaters this weekend to try to gin up interest in the original movie. So people know what it is. They're taking the movie off of Disney plus. Because they want people to think about this as a theatrical franchise that they're going to go to theaters to see. Avatar is the perfect example. Now that's the easy example. That would be, that movie makes no sense for streaming. It's the other stuff. Taking that, it I off, think,
2: taking it off uh, Disney Plus is actually kind of weird. I, wouldn't you want people to watch it ahead of the release? But I, hold on, I have a. Who do you think? Uh, who do you think would make a streaming only? Who would be the last of these three to make a streaming only movie? Uh, Christopher Nolan, Tom Cruise, Jim Cameron. Or who who would be the first?
1: I think Cruise, if he did a auteur-driven, small performance movie where he wanted to take a risk on a character, like if he did a version of Magnolia these days, he might consider that. Uh, Even though he's at the height of his box office powers right now after Top Gun, I think he might. Now, Nolan is just a like crazy person when it comes to theatrical. He absolutely wants his movies to be in theaters, so I don't see a world in which he does it. Now, if he has three or four bombs, maybe that will change his mind and get to the place where, okay, maybe I'll try this. You don't have to deal with the pressures of theatrical um, Jim Cameron, I mean, he's doing these Avatar movies. He's produced stuff here and there. I, I think he's a, a believer, and I think he would never direct a movie for streaming. Um, but no, never say never. We'll see how the first Avatar sequel does. Has a movie that's ever come out only on streaming ever actually made an impact culturally? No. Bird Box. Bird, maybe Bird Box. Or, those are uh, still just, like flavor of the month. Bird Box, don't look up. Was had them.
2: I mean, yeah, they're like a, they're like a, a month, month and a half window. It's not like they,
3: I guess, don't look up as decent. But it's like, isn't that like the simplest distillation of uh, the reason why you should put a movie in theaters? It's like, is anybody buying merchandise ever for a movie that only comes out on streaming?
2: No, no. But it, uh, but is anyone buying merchandise for an original movie that gets released in theaters? We don't know. Are
3: people buying John Wick merchandise? Probably. I Free guy. Not for, I don't know, about free guy.
2: <laughs> John I mean, no, I think the movies that do well in theaters are franchises. And the problem Netflix doesn't have them. So if I think it's it's a really, it's a really tricky situation to be in. They're trying to create them. Maybe you put them in theaters, but you,
3: you if, are never going to create a new ride at Disneyland or whatever
1: theme park by just making streaming movies. The movie needs to be in theaters. That's what, well, but Bob, Bob Chapek disagrees with you. He can't cite any examples, but he says you do not need theatrical to create a franchise on that level. I, I bet a movie like Extraction would have been a theatrical bomb. But is that a franchise? I mean, I know did they're, they're, they're a making one? a sequel. Yeah. They also, how many uh, To All the Boys movies did they do? Th- that was the other one
2: I was going to bring up. That They made three of them. That was a legit franchise. It was smaller, but that's what they should be doing more of. Uh, they should have bought Paramount. I, I agree.
1: All right, thank you, Lucas. Thanks, Matt. All right, we are back with the call sheet. Craig, are you excited for the re-release of Avatar? You know, I probably won't see it in theaters.
3: I'll maybe wait to see it right before the new one comes out online. I know you and Lucas just said that they're taking it off Disney+, Plus, which I didn't know was happening, but I'll try to watch the original Avatar before the second one.
1: Well, Disney and James Cameron would very much like you to see the original <laughs> avatar in theaters to get you excited about Avatar Two, the way of Water, which is coming out in December. Are they selling tickets at full price? Oh, yeah. this is a are you kidding me? This is a, a theatrical bonanza, uh, or at least that's my prediction. i I think this is going to do decent in theaters. i my my prediction is it will do more than ten million this weekend. And I think because people who may have seen this 14 years ago when it came out and now have children and maybe want them to see it or they do want to get back in the mood to see the, the new one and you know they did take it off Disney Plus and they want to wear the 3D glasses and go to an IMAX screen or something like that, people will show up for this is my prediction. Yeah, what's nice is it's been so goddamn long. It's been 13 years
3: that if you saw this movie when you were 35 years old, now you're 48 and you have a 12-year-old and you can go see it with him and it's a brand new film, you know?
1: I guess. There's a lot of haters out there for Avatar. There's, you know, people that maybe have only seen it on home video or TV and didn't really get it. It's not like the... <laughs> it's it's a pretty simple movie, um, but... It's the highest grossing film ever not adjusted for inflation. Totally. And I just feel like the audience is going to be there when this movie comes out. You know, the people are clamoring for events. They have proven that they will show up in theaters. If it is something that feels unique and theatrical and like an event Uh, and Spider-Man, no way home was that Top Gun Maverick. I think this is going to be the big one of the year. And a lot of people disagree with me. (laughs) A lot of people think this is going to be a financial disaster. I mean, with with four sequels in the works, Disney is basically on the hook for a billion dollars here, even though Disney did not green light these movies. Fox decided to give Jim Cameron the green light on this. It was actually hilarious. He did an interview with the New York Times this past weekend where he talked about the re-release and was, promoting it but he also gave a little insight into some of the conversations he had around the original one and he said whenever there was a cost dispute this is his quote he would say you know what i made titanic this building that we're meeting in right now this new half billion dollar complex on your lot titanic paid for that so i get to do this Uh, I, i kind of agree with him all time flex jim cameron just the best he is two of the three top grossing films ever yeah not to mention aliens terminator and terminator 2 true lies i mean we can go on and on jim cameron is not someone you want to bet against
3: i think they should reduce the tickets price full price for a movie that's been out that's 15 years old is weird
1: a little bit but they just don't want to do that All, all these reissues are full price
3: i might watch it again
1: i was 15
3: when i was 14 when i saw it
1: did you think it was cool
3: yeah i liked it
1: i thought it was cool also
3: I'm not like a big sci fi person, or whatever, but like I thought that the hate on this movie was way overblown. And for yeah. some reason, it was like Nickelback. It became cool to hate Avatar.
1: Uh, well, I, I think Nickelback sucks. But I saw Avatar early, like at a press screening before the reviews came out, before anything, because I was moderating a roundtable with Jim Cameron and I had to see it. And I remember like looking around at people and being like, wait, this is actually. Really good, and I didn't. It was one of those where I didn't know if the critics were going to like it, and there was so much build up to it, and there's you know high degree of difficulty that it was one of those where I didn't quite trust my own opinion. You're afraid
3: of your own opinion, yes. You're afraid that like the brainy film critic is going to shit on it, and then you feel like a moron.
1: Totally. And then the day of this roundtable I was doing with Jim Cameron was the day that the reviews came out, and I looked at, I was like hoping that the THR review wouldn't be a total pan because then the he would be pissed and it was a rave all the reviews were a rave and it ended up going on to get a ton of oscar nominations and winning a few
3: everyone likes to say it's pocahontas it is but like i i still have no issue with it being similar to the storyline of one other movie that came out 30 years ago like every movie's a rip off of everything
1: and not only that it does other things there's the whole like bioluminescence thing where the you know yeah. the creatures are connected and i uh, i don't know and and like the freaking avatar part of it is new it, yes it's pocahontas but john smith was not another species yeah
3: <laughs> yeah yeah i totally agree with you i think uh people need to settle the hell down
1: all right so that's my prediction for this weekend avatar 10 million plus I want to thank Lucas for coming on today. I want to thank producer Craig Holbeck. And I want to thank you. We'll see you on Wednesday.
0: This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.